Today's reading is Acts chapter 28. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. People expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and, after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered on the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day the south wind came up, and on the following day we reached Putioli. There we found some brothers who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. The brothers there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the Three Taverns to meet us. At the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the leaders of the Jews. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I've done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any charge to bring against my own people. For this reason, I've asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, We've not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of the brothers who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said. Others would not believe. They disagreed amongst themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. 
you will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years Paul stayed there in his own rented house, and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's word. Good evening, good to see you. My name's Matt, one of the ministers here. And I don't know about you, I'm always reassured when I read uh, about Malta after the summer we've had being raining and cold. It's kind of reassuring, isn't it? But who cares now? It's sunny, uh, the Olympics are coming. Who cares about the rain and the cold? It's all gone. Summer is here. It's terrific, terrific. Let's pray. Let's pray as we look at this part of God's word together. Our Father, thank you uh, that you're a God who speaks, that you uh, form us and shape us with words of truth. And Father, you know where many of us would be uh, this evening. Some of us uh, crushed, some of us uh, preoccupied, some of us uncertain about things. And so we ask this evening that your word, as you've spoken it to us just now, would change our hearts and the course of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. There's something very impressive about seeing something that's unstoppable. I don't know if uh, this week any of you have uh, got caught up in the Tour de France. It's been quite exciting, hasn't it? I don't know if you've uh, suddenly taken on a new fascination for cycling. I think some of you out here uh, probably cycle, enjoy that sort of thing. But numbers of people just getting excited by Bradley Wiggins, of course, a plucky uh, Brit who uh, hasn't been stopped by anything. Uh, so the Alps, they couldn't stop him. The Pyrenees, they couldn't stop him. The 1,000 273 miles that he's cycled, they didn't stop him. The other people uh, on the road, they didn't stop him. And so if you saw this afternoon, the final day, final leg of the Tour de France, he arrived at his final destination this afternoon uh, into Paris as the first ever British winner of the Tour de France. And some of you out there, I can see, probably aren't ever going to get into cycling or be as excited as some of us will be uh, by that. People cheering at the back. That's exciting. Good. Great. That's excellent. That's excellent. But the funny thing is, over the last few days, people have just been saying how inevitable it is that he's going to win. You know, a number of days ago, people were just saying it's it's inevitable. It's in the bag. And he's that far in front. It's She's just unstoppable. Just have to give up. And, and it seems that he was the only one who really needed persuading of that until about yesterday when he just said, you know, I, I see, I'm going to win. It's terrific. Um, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Just little example. There's something impressive about seeing something that's just unstoppable. You can't get in the way of it. You can't stop it. And if you've been with us in the book of Acts, that's kind of been the message all of the way through, that the gospel is unstoppable. The good news of the risen Christ is unstoppable as it goes to the ends of the earth. That's what we've been seeing in the last few weeks as we looked at these last few chapters of the book of Acts. And so this week we get we get to this final destination. So last uh, week, if you were here, we were on a shipwreck. And this week, 
Uh, there's Paul on Malta, and he travels from there, and he arrives in Rome, his final destination, in the capital of the known world at the, t- uh, at the time. And in one sense, there's no surprise that that should have happened. As you look back over the course of Acts, there's no surprise that that should have happened, because well, the message is that it's unstoppable. Jesus said, chapter 1, verse 8, This good news, you will be my witnesses in Judea, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said it. He gave his spirit to empower it. In one sense, it's no surprise that we should get to chapter 28 and find Paul going into Rome and then the gospel going on to the ends of the earth. And I want us to focus this evening, if you've got your Bible, do turn it open to page 1126. I just want us to focus on verse 23 onwards, really, as Paul meets the leaders of the synagogue in Rome. He always did that. He always went in to speak to the Jewish leaders first, because historically Jesus was the king from the nation of Israel. He always went there first, spoke to them, and that's what we see him doing. And so I want us to see, and you've got some headings on your sheet, which would help you to see that the gospel that Paul preached, first of all, the gospel that Paul preached, the content of it was that he proclaimed Jesus as king. That was the content of his message. So verse 23, these leaders arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So time and again in his book, Paul's, uh, Luke, Luke rather, the writer, has given us snapshots of the content of what Paul was preaching, his message, so that, in a sense, we could match up our message with what Paul was saying. And his message, from uh, start of the book to the end of the book and here again, was the kingdom of God. It was God's declaration that there was a kingdom that God had established on earth. And we're told here that that was in the law and the prophets. So this is a kingdom that was in the Old Testament, proclaimed in the Old Testament. From Genesis 3, when it all went wrong, God said he'd put things right again. He'd establish, re-establish his kingdom. Genesis 12, God said he'd establish a kingdom that would be for the nations. It went through King David. There'd be a king of this kingdom. And Paul is saying, do you see what he's saying in these verses? Verse 23. He's saying that Jesus Christ in history died for sin and rose out of the grave to be seen as the king of the kingdom that God promised. Now just pause on that for a second. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying that the the king that God has provided, the king of the kingdom, is is not just a king of a a group of people. So some people would say, well, is is Christianity just a Western thing? Is it a white man's uh, religion? And, and, And Paul is saying right from the start, that's not the case. Yes, he comes to the Jewish nation first, uh, but it's for the Gentiles too, verse 28. It'll go out to the Gentiles from there. Because all people face the same problems. All people of the world face the same problems of sin and death. And Jesus Christ is the king of God's kingdom. Now just think about that. That, that matters. So here we've got verse 23. He declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them that Jesus was that king of the kingdom. Do you see what he's doing? He's saying there's there's the kingdom of God and there's one king 
one king who's been promised as the king of this kingdom. There is no other king. Do you see, it matters if there's one king. It matters whether you recognize him as that or, or, or not. So if there's a rightful king, if there's a rightful king or queen of a country, if you, I don't know, if you set yourself up as a rival king, if you go and build your own Buckingham Palace just round the corner and put up your little flag and call yourself the king or the queen of England. It matters. It's not a neutral, I mean, it's a weird thing to do, but it's not a, it's not a neutral thing to do. It's not just, you know, we could all do that and that's acceptable. If there's one king, if there's one queen, then for us all to establish our own Buckingham Palaces and our own flags and set up our own, that's not a neutral thing to do. It actually matters. And here's, here's what Paul is saying. It's the same with Jesus. Jesus is the king of God's kingdom. God said, this is what God's been all about all of the way through. I'm going to establish a kingdom. And Paul is saying, God's declared so that we know who the king of that kingdom is. He's made it absolutely clear in history that it's Jesus Christ. In history, he's the only one who died for our sin. He's the only one who rose in history from the grave. He's the king. He's been declared as such. And so Paul was saying to these leaders... That there's one king, the king of God's kingdom. Now I know when, when you hear that, I know that the, the Bible would say that that is not a, that's not a nuanced view. We all quite like nuance, don't we? Particularly, I don't know, in England, we don't like things to be too sort of black and white. But Paul was saying right from the start, this is not a nuanced view. It's binary. Jesus Christ is the king and you and I are not. There's one king of the kingdom. And that is our message. It's the same message that Paul had. And we're meant to compare our message with, is that is that what we're saying? Because that's what Paul was saying right from the start as he went to Rome, the capital of the known world, says the kingdom of God. And there's one king uh, of that. That's our message today. That Jesus Christ has established his kingdom. His resurrection in history shows that. He promises a good reign for those who come to him, whereby he'll pay for their sin and get them through death into his kingdom. But there is one king, one king of the kingdom. And not a king that we just, I don't know, a king that we just doff our hats to and then try and put him onto just the edge of our lives. That's not what you do with a king. A king you, you worship, you put at the throne, at the center of your life. And that's what King Jesus calls for, that we might turn and put him as the rightful king of God's kingdom and our lives. So there was the first thing, as Paul goes into Rome, that's the first thing. Do you see what he says? He says there's a kingdom, and Jesus Christ is the king of that kingdom. Well, how do people respond? How would people respond today? How do you respond today? Well, secondly, it divided people. When he went in and said there's the king, King Jesus, it just divided people in two. So look down again. If you lost your place, verse 24. Some, verse 24, were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you'll be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn 
and I would heal them. So some, verse 24, were convinced by this. They believed in Jesus Christ as the king. Others weren't. They were divided in two. And so others, we're told, began to leave. But I wonder if you notice why. Do you see in verse 24, some were convinced by what he said, but others, it's interesting, would not believe. Would not believe. Do you see what uh, Luke is saying? Luke's giving us a clue. It was as much as anything a moral decision as an intellectual one. It doesn't say they didn't believe or they couldn't believe. It was just, you know, unbelievable. to. It's, they would not believe. It was a decision of the will. Not to believe in that Jesus had been risen in history. They wouldn't believe in him. They wouldn't trust in him. And that's backed up by this quote that we get in Isaiah in verse 26. It's backed up that, yes, you could look at it one way and say verse 26 is absolutely right. That God in his judgment is saying verse 26 to people. That's absolutely right. But you could also look at it from the other side, verse 27, and say that it was because of the obstinate refusal of people to believe that they did not believe. It was the obstinate refusal of people to believe. That meant that they would not believe in Jesus Christ who had been risen. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago? It wasn't done in a corner. The evidence was there if they'd only look at it, that Jesus Christ died and rose again, but they would not believe. Or using the language of the quote from Isaiah, they'd close their eyes so that they don't want to look at it. Close their own eyes. Or their hearts were calloused. There were calluses. I'd say occasionally I try and play the guitar and if you try, if you play the guitar as badly as, as I do and ineffectively, you just, you develop these calluses, uh, on your, on your fingers, just a hard bit of skin. And if you, if you just touch it, there's no feeling there at all. That's what, that's what Isaiah the prophet was saying people did to their hearts. As they closed their eyes to Jesus Christ, they, they just harden their hearts so that when the good news of Jesus comes, it just, They've just hardened their hearts against that. And do you see in verse 27, who does that? They've closed their eyes. Their hearts are callous because they've closed their eyes, the eyes of their heart. So do you see what happened as Paul came into Rome? He came in with the good news of a king, yet people were divided in two. This was... This was their chance, if you like. The good news had come all the way, all of those thousands of miles into Rome. This was their chance to respond, and yet many of them wouldn't. They would not believe. And the gospel carried on its way from them to others. That'd be like the, like the tragedy of a doctor coming all of that journey to a village that desperately needed medical help and and comes into the village with the vaccine that can solve the problems and yet people people won't receive it. People won't accept it and so the vaccine just goes on its way to others who would accept it, would take it. That's what's going on here. It's tragic. Gospel comes all of the way to Rome. Good news of the kingdom who can pay for sin and defeat death and yet they harden their hearts. They would not believe. And look, there'd be some in this, I mean, there'd be some in this room here who would have heard this. Over the last few weeks, you've heard of this, but 
I don't know, you, you think, well, look, in the future, I'll, I'll believe. In the future, I'll look into it. I'll just put it off for now. But that is a moral decision. You're making a decision at that point. And you see, the good, the good news of Jesus is coming to you tonight. This is your chance, in a sense, to believe. Before the gospel goes on its way to others. How do you do that? How do you respond? Verse 27. Do you see at the end, verse 27. How do you respond? Turn. Turn. And God promises to heal. Turn from yourself as the king of your own kingdom. Turn to him as the king who can get you through life, pay for your sin and get you through death. Turn. Turn to him. And God promises to heal you. Spiritually. Spiritually put you right again with God. So the gospel Paul preached proclaimed, first of all, Jesus as king. That was the content of it. How do people respond? Well, they were divided and some hardened their heart. Third thing, what was the other thing uh, Luke wants us to know about this gospel that Paul preached? Well, verse 30, it spread unhindered. Let's read verse 30. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to him boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. So there is Paul. He's under house arrest. He's probably, uh, uh, you know, he's rented a house for a couple of years. That's how, but there would have been guards around. But there he was in Rome for those two years. And do you see, while he's there, he's able to welcome people. All who would come, he was welcoming into his house. And what do you think he did at that point? I bet he spoke about Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. And from there, out of that little house, out into the corners of the world, went missionaries to take the gospel out to others. So although it doesn't look very strategic, this must have been a very strategic two years. Earlier on in in Acts, we're told that Paul was in Ephesus for two years. And we know in those two years that he reached all of ancient Asia in those days. And so here again for two years, Paul is in Rome. And the ends of the earth are reached. He looks constrained. He's under house arrest. And yet the good news of Jesus Christ is unhindered. In fact, the last word as you read it through in, in, uh, in, in, um, originally I was helped by this to see is, is, is unhindered. That's the last word of the book of Acts. It's unhindered. The gospel goes out without hindrance. And so we know, for example, that during that time, Paul was writing letters. Uh, so, uh, the book of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, probably the book of Philemon as well. Those four books were probably written during these two years, were sent out to churches. We still have them today. God still speaks through them. The gospel was unhindered as it went out during that time with their strong conviction in all of those letters that Jesus Christ was king over all. I mean, think about that. Colossians starts with this declaration that Jesus Christ is the one over all. Where's Paul? He's in Rome. He's got Caesar, the big king, declaring that. And yet he's declaring Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God. What else might have happened during that time? Well, I guess from chapter 27, verse 24, Jesus promised that Paul would stand before Caesar. I take it that that happened. That during this time, Paul stood before Nero. Take it to be true that he stood before that bloodthirsty genius and spoke of Jesus Christ to him. Tradition has it that probably he was released after a couple of years. 
probably then rearrested, and probably for Nero's amusement, who used to burn Christians in his back garden just to light up the evening. That Paul was rearrested for treason. Tradition has it he was probably executed in about AD 66. It's probably what happened in these last couple of years. We don't know. But the point is that Jesus' kingdom continued unhindered, or as Wesley once put it, God buries his workmen, but not his work. The gospel continued unhindered. And so do you see, at the end of this book of Luke, we're meant to pan back and look at the journey that we've been on. All the way from chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus had said, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we with Luke can stand back and see that that's exactly what Jesus by his spirit has done. So by the end of the book of Luke, we can see believers now in Ephesus, believers in Corinth, believers in Rome, even before Paul gets there, believers in Jerusalem, believers in Athens, a small little fledgling church, probably in Malta, as well, We stand back and we see that Jesus has been good on his word. He's done that in history. And of course, in our day, we can pan back even more and see the 2,000 years since this time when Jesus has continued by his spirit to take the good news unhindered to the ends of the earth. Do you see Paul said, verse 28, do you see he said, verse 28, God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. And they have. They've been listening and we have. Because the gospel came to us. See, think, I mean, as Simon said at the start, think of the ends of the earth. I mean, if you were to draw a straight line from uh, Jerusalem, then to Judea, Samaria, and then uh, on to Rome. And if you just drew a straight line that just kept going, you'd end up probably in London. Just that's where you'd end up. I mean, that was the ends. Of, that's the ends of the earth. If you keep going beyond London in that straight line, where do you, what do you hit? You hit, do you hit Liverpool? You probably hit Liverpool. And then you kind of hit the sea. And then that's it. All the way to Greenland. I mean, we're at the margins back then. We're not the... We're not the center of the world. I know the Olympics is here this week. We feel like we're not. We're the ends of the earth in those days. We were this little tiny island. And the good news of Jesus Christ came to us just as he promised. Or think of missionaries over history who've done this. Think of a guy called, think of a great Christian hero called John Patton. Took the gospel to the New Hebrides, a tiny little island in the Pacific. I think it's now called Vanuata. Back in the 1800s. Just... Went from Scotland to there just to tell people about Jesus Christ. The ends of the earth have been reached. Or think of the big growth in some countries that people would never have thought the good news of Jesus Christ would ever make any inroads into. So think of China, a closed country for years. And now they'd say, what? Who knows how many Christians there are in there? Millions, 150 million. Who knows? 150 million in there? And the missionaries in that country... Uh, talk about a vision of, of sending a 100,000 church planters out in the next few years to plant churches all the way from China to Jerusalem. Which is unhindered. Well, Nigeria's vision of the church at the moment is to send 50,000 workers in the next 15 years to start planting churches across North Africa. 50,000 just from Nigeria. Just sending them out with the good news of Jesus Christ. 
Think of the Jesus film, if you've ever seen that. Launched in 1979. People think that probably several billion people have individually viewed that declaration around the world of Jesus Christ, this carpenter from Nazareth who died and rose again. Or think of some of the hard places, apparently, if you ever read, if you ever read Operation World, great, a great resource to help us pray around the world. They would say that in 1979, Mongolia was one of the hardest countries to reach, and now today they estimate 40,000 Christians in that country. Or the rumours, the rumours that we just, we just hear of in some of the really hard countries of the world at the moment. North Korea, Saudi Arabia, Afghanistan, rumours of Christians even amongst the Taliban, just trusted in Jesus Christ and heard of him. The gospel's unhindered. It's been unhindered over the last 2,000 years since it first went out from Jesus Christ and then through his followers. And so, yes, we live in London and in one sense, the many nations have come to us. And yes, in one sense, we might look around our city and go, it's quite hard ground to sow on at the moment. And it is quite hard in our offices and in our city. And yes, we need the missionaries, who knows, through the Olympics to come and remind this country of Jesus Christ. But you see, when we lift our eyes around the world, God is at work. Our privilege as a church, we partner with others around the world. The board over there of mission partners in France, in Madagascar, in New Zealand. And for Paul in Rome, as he went into Rome, the gospel went out unhindered. He said the Gentiles will listen. And they have. And they are. And now in the world, I don't know, two billion of the six billion in this world would own the name of Christian. The gospel went out unhindered. And let me just try and draw this together. As I just thought about this week, this, this week, the thing that really struck me was there is basically there is only one unhindered kingdom in the world. It's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. There's only one unhindered kingdom. The kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because only he is alive to continue it forever. Only he has risen from the grave to continue it. So Rome rose. And then it fell. And its leaders fell and its leaders died. But the kingdom of Jesus will continue unhindered. Because he's alive. Because he's powerful. Because he has his hand on it. I don't know if you like YouTube clips. One of my, I, some of you will have seen this. There's a great, there's a great clip by an artist called um, Shailene. Uh, that's Shailene, not Charlene from from Neighbours back in whenever it was. Shailene, uh, you, have you seen it? Jesus is alive. It's a it's a guy rapping. I'm not going to do it. Don't worry. I'm not going to I'm not going to rap it. But here's how this how it goes. It goes. Uh, Elvis. I'm not going to rap it. I'm just uh, <laughs> just double underline. Elvis is dead. Picasso is dead. Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin are dead. Marilyn Monroe is dead. However, Jesus is alive. And then he goes on through all of the world leaders. Plato is dead. Muhammad is dead. Nietzsche, Darwin are dead. However, Jesus is alive. You see, his kingdom goes on unhindered. Because Jesus Christ is alive. And so here is the point. The kingdom of Jesus Christ is unstoppable as it continues through this world and getting his people into the world to come. 
But the kingdoms of the world are very stoppable. Very stoppable. They all rise and they all fall. Just as our lives rise for 70 years and then fall. Our lives are stoppable. Our many kingdoms are stoppable. But Jesus' kingdom is unstoppable. So let me just say as we close, just a, a word to the crushed, a word to the preoccupied, a word to the uncertain, a word to the crushed. Some of us will be here crushed. Crushed this evening. Crushed because of what life is like at the moment. We're not getting all we long for in this world and it doesn't look like we will. Would you see what verse 30 and 31 teach us? The kingdom of Jesus Christ that we're a part of is unstoppable. It's a kingdom that won't be thwarted. And that means that Jesus Christ, when he promises, verse 27, to heal, to bring ultimate, full healing, he's not going to be stopped in doing that. Our hopes in him are not crazy hopes. So when he says that he will heal us and bring us into relationship, when he says that he'll keep us going through this life, and when he says that ultimately he will heal us in the world to come, in the shining, new, bright, solid world he's bringing in, he means it, and he's going to get us there. Jesus Christ is unstoppable as he gets his people through this world and to the world to come. And one day that will be the place of healing. Even as in this world we suffer and struggle. It's a word to the crushed, a word to the, to the preoccupied. You know, as I thought about this this week, I've realized it is easy, isn't it? We live, we live a huge amount of our life preoccupied with our own little kingdoms. We have our kingdoms and we can get preoccupied with them. I don't know what that looks like for you. Our bank balances, our reputation, our future. Trying to, you know, just put off aging a little bit more. And you just, and you just, you just worry. You can end up worrying because our kingdoms are so stoppable. They're so under threat. And so we have to fight on every front. We're like, we're defending a sort of papier mache kingdom which isn't secure. But we fight on all of the fronts that there are. And we, we're doing okay on the bank balance, but reputation out the back, it's not so good. And so we fight and, and we spend all of our time. For our kingdoms, which are so under threat and so stoppable and so short. But you see, as I thought about this and, and, and repented of the way that I've thought in this week in that sort of way, that there's freedom in the kingdom of Jesus. There's freedom in being a part of a kingdom that's not going to be stopped. That's going to keep going forever. And so if my concern is ultimately, ultimately for my kingdom, it'll always be under threat. It'll always be stopped. But if I'll turn from that and get preoccupied with Jesus' kingdom, we're on a winner. One sense we can relax, because if that is our greatest concern, the kingdom of Jesus is going to keep going unhindered. God's committed to it. It is going to expand. It is going to extend. It is going to happen. And if you want help practically to do that, just to change your your mind, get preoccupied with God. God's kingdom. Can I suggest what I tried to do this week? Just, I just took half an hour and just got out the the prayer letters and the you know the Christian magazines, which just sit on the side, and I just turned off the TV and just started to read them through again. And actually, I found my heart lifted as I rejoiced that God's kingdom around the world, Nigeria, China, out in the islands, London, Liverpool, God's kingdom 
is unhindered, it is extending. And that just lifted my heart, lifted my vision from my kingdom to God's kingdom. Can I commend that to you? Maybe that's something you could do. Or work out a way. Just take the prayer letters and just give thanks to God that his kingdom is extending through the acts back then of the apostles, but now through the church today. Rejoice. Pray. Give. Stay and serve. Some of you go and serve. Some of you in the next few years go and serve. Elsewhere in the far corners of the world. The gospel is unhindered. So a word to the crushed, a word to the preoccupied, finally a word to the uncertain. If Jesus is not your king, come to him. Come to him as your king. Join in his unhindered kingdom. Turn. And he promises to heal. So do you see as we get to the end of the book of Acts, God is committed to the kingdom of his son, extending it unhindered, unstoppable. And the gospel's come to Rome, but what's it come through? Well, it's come through suffering. It's come through storms. You get through the storm, and just when you think things are going okay, what happens? A viper bites you on the hand at the start of, just when you think, oh goodness, where'd that come from? Even through the unexpected setbacks, the gospel of Jesus Christ continues. The good news of the risen Christ is unstoppable as it goes to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Let's just be quiet for a minute. Our Father, our uh, kingdoms and our hopes are so stoppable, uh, so short, so under threat, so full of setbacks. And so we thank you that in the Lord Jesus Christ we are part of a kingdom that is unstoppable. A kingdom that is secured through his death and his resurrection in history to give us hope. That you will continue to grow your kingdom as you wish in this world. And get your people from this world to the kingdom that will last forever. We thank you for that in Jesus name. Amen.